time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. at all the theme because it's I'm feeling it today feeling the theme because today we kick off a new epic part of the Cold War podcast but before we get into that uh welcome back to my hetero life partner Ray Harris thank you you can't see it but I'm bowing thank you how was uh Bonnie Scotland <laughs> it was phenomenal it was amazing. Uh, it was. It was. We used the word "cute" like twenty-seven times in the first day, and that's when we knew Scotland was cute. Yeah, that's when you were talking about me. But after that, <laughs> what yeah. did you have to say it, about Scotland? It was all downhill after that. No, it was. It was beautiful. It's lovely. The people are nice. The food is great. The whiskey is great. Um, it was. It was. It was. It was perfect. It was perfect. You, Everything about it was perfect. Why did I see no kilt shots from you? <laughs> what everyone wants sorry. to know. I'm sorry. I hooked up one of the cams, uh, but <sighs> I must have not have turned it on when I clasped mm. it to the kilt. So I'm still working on that. I'm working on that. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. Highlight? What was the highlight of the trip? Oh, God. Um, <sighs> there was one every hour uh probably the land the you know you hear people say oh it's beautiful there you should go see it's beautiful you're like yeah yeah fucking mountains and trees i gotcha no it's beautiful it's it takes your breath away and it just keeps on Mm. taking your breath away so i we're still really no one wanted to come back the girls were crying heather Mm. was crying i wasn't crying Mm. because i'm too much of a man but misty uh we we just didn't want to come back did they take your freedom while you were there? <laughs> they tr- they tried, but mm. I mooned them with my kilt, and that seemed to scare the English off. Actually, there were a lot of Germans and Asians there. I thought maybe I'd got on the wrong plane, but mm. uh, other than that, mm. it, it was mm. great. It was mm. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Uh, well, uh, you know, we, we missed you here, right? Oh. Uh, wasn't, wasn't the same without you. <laughs> No, no, really. It wasn't the same. No, it's, I'm being serious. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, really. It wasn't the same without you. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, I'm trying to, I'm trying mm. to be serious. Uh, right. You know, do you believe me? Absolutely. Okay. That's good. As long as you believe me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, well, no, you really, you really should. <laughs> Did um, did you? I remember when when we were in Rome, somebody came up to you in the streets and said, "Hi, Ray Harris." Did that happen to you in Scotland? Fame comes in many forms, my friends. Well, I know it it, it does, obviously, but uh, I'm talking about your particular 
kind of fame. Uh, did you? Did anyone come up and recognise you while you were there? Back in my twenties. Really, that makes no sense. What? <laughs> I can't believe that. What? Did you? Uh, how did you? When you? When you met? When you? When you were meeting people in Scotland? How did you introduce yourself? I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Well, I'm sure that should have. I'm sure that went down well. Uh, <laughs> did you? Did you get everything that you wanted while you were I there? I wanted a threesome with two NFL cheerleaders. Well, yes. I mean, I know. Uh, but they don't have male cheerleaders yet. I keep telling you that. You're talking about, you mean fullbacks, not cheerleaders. I'm impressed. Well, yeah. I uh, uh, I know my stuff. I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I know that. But uh, we missed you anyway. Just, just you know, I... Well, and again... <sighs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm sorry. Bear with me. Let me just say this real quick. Are you ready? I'm set. Okay, let's get into it then. <laughs> Who is that charming third person uh, yeah, that I was? Listening? I just accept it. I'm not. Yeah, I just accept it. I'm not outraged. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Just accept it. Don't be outraged. I'm baffled. Well, yes, but that's that's why we love you. In the early hours of June 25th, 1950, mm-hmm. North Korean forces attacked across the 38th parallel that divided the country into a pro-Western regime down in the south and a pro-Soviet regime up in the north. It officially kicked off the first major conflict of the Cold War, the Korean War. We, in the West, know it as the Korean War. In South Korea, do you know what it's referred to as, Ray? No, tell me. I do not know. Uh, It's referred to as... (laughs) I have no fucking idea. Yeah, it's referred to, I, I guess that, it's referred to in, in South Korea as 625 or the 625 upheaval mm. uh, because of the start date, the 25th of June. Um, and because, because they're an American colony. Right. Now, I can't, I, can't, I can't remember, did I hit that button or not? Um, it, 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 because they're an American colony, they do the dates back to front, so it's 625. Right. In North Korea, it's officially referred to as the Fatherland Liberation War. In China, it's it's called the War to Resist America and Aid Korea. (laughs) You attacked me. How was that? Anyway, we'll get into it. Okay. How dare you, sir? Uh, <laughs> do you? Can I go now? Do you, you need me? Nope. <laughs> this is the lesson. You go on holidays. Trevor Bell comes in with a soundboard, and honestly, no one knows the difference. In fact, it was better. It didn't smell as much. 
And AI, AI Ray, or Ray I, as I refer to it, (laughs) always sober, uh, never has its hand down its pants, doesn't ask for any money. I mean, it's it's a win-win. Yeah. 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 And makes me laugh. I laugh so hard. I'm laughing. I think it's great. Yeah, it's, you just see it as a way to do even less work. <laughs> Touching. Uh, in the US, the war was initially described by Harry Truman as a police action. Mm-hmm. And people may not know this, but the United States never formally declared war on North Korea. Right. So the operation was conducted under the auspices of the United Nations as a police action. So technically, mm-hmm. mm, not really a war. <laughs> Bunch of cops. Just, yeah, yeah. just American cops. Uh, and we, we know how much you can trust American cops. <laughs> Speaking of which, if I may, have you mm. seen the first show of The Boys on Amazon? I've seen the first, I think, three episodes, yeah. Okay. I didn't know anything about it. I don't know anything about the writer, producer, nothing like that. I watched the first show just because I could, stopped it, and then I went, is that not a commentary on the police in America today? All the power, backed by government, can do no wrong, can't be punished and you'll screw yourself if you go up against them, unless you've got something on a video, on a phone, recorded, and even then you might lose the case. I mean, I to me, it was just the perfect commentary on the police state that we live in, especially if you're black or not white in this country. Mm. And do you know the the, the guy who uh, who's like the the rogue uh, cop who comes in to try mm-hmm. and help uh, Meg Ryan's son? Um, Carl Urban is the actor. Right. He's a he's a Kiwi doing oh. a very bad, over the top uh, sort yep. of co- Cockney <clears throat> accent in it. But he, and he's hot. It's okay. I mean, oh, doesn't, yeah, doesn't matter. Does, does it for you? Does yes, it actually does. Yes. And the and the and the main guy whose girlfriend gets uh, vaporized is uh, that's yeah Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan <laughs> and Dennis Quaid's son. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anywho. Anyway. Uh, yeah. In it's known as the Forgotten War. Uh, yes. Apparently, the Forgotten War or the Unknown War, it's often referred to, doesn't receive as much attention as your favourite war, World War Two, or the Vietnam right. War. Right. Paul M. Edwards, who's the founder and executive director of the Center for the Study of the Korean War in Missouri, says. Whether intentional or not, America's history of misunderstandings, misjudgments, misdirections, denials, and bold-faced lies to Americans and others Mm -hmm. has greatly weakened the memory of the Korean War and led to the loss of many of the significant lessons it might well have taught us. Amen. Uh, Bruce Cummings, who's the former chair of the history department at the University of Chicago, has written a number of books on the Korean War. He wrote, least known to Americans is how appallingly dirty this war was, with a sordid history of civilian slaughters amid which our ostensibly democratic ally was the worst offender, contrary to the American image of the North Koreans as fiendish terrorists. 
And, of course, it's a conflict that's still going on today. People <laughs> may or may not know this, but North and South Korea never agreed to end the war. Yeah. It's it's still going on. They're, They're just still shooting. Visually, well, yeah, not, not in public. Right. Anyway. Right. In 2018, you all will remember this, the leaders of both sides, Kim Jong-un and, and the other guy, uh, <laughs> met. I'm sorry, Kim's just got better PR people. No, I just know absolutely. his name. Guy, the other yeah, guy's yeah. just an elected, you know, and I've talked before on the bullshit film about you know, elected officials in South Korea. I mean, they're mostly all in fuck. Yeah, mostly all in prison. Yeah. Um, the, uh, they met in 2018. The yes. leaders of both sides for the first time to talk about ending the 65-year-old conflict, and then that's all fallen apart too. Since then, now there's you know there's been uh, uh, military exercises happening by the US and South Korea, where they're actually um, simulating what it's going to be like after they invade North Korea. Oh. That's the simulation, the, the uh, battle simulation that the Americans are doing in South Korea. So then Kim started launching missiles again. He's like, you fucking come anywhere near <laughs> the 38th parallel, my friends. And this is what and we've got. So, so it's, exactly. you know, it's still going on. The very first yeah. battle of the Cold War is still, still going on today. So when people say, is the Cold War over? You know, can't be because can't North be. and South Korea are still right. at war. If I could take a page from your book, doesn't it benefit both sides to not have the war officially over? They can keep the drama, the fear, the tension, the budgets and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, it just to me, it just serves both sides equally well, in a sense. Well, there are probably certain people on both certain, sides certain as, that benefit from yes, it. Exactly. Not yeah. sure that the... Uh, not everybody. Average person in North Korea is happy about... They're not happy about anything. No, no. Um, but anyway. You know, the, the the ongoing wars that America is in, the permanent state of war that America has been in for 70 uh, years uh, doesn't benefit the average Joe living in Virginia. Right. But yeah. somebody's getting rich out of it. Somebody in Virginia is getting rich out of it. Yes, in northern Virginia. I mean, I don't know, man. You seem to take the entire family on an overseas vacation every year. I can't afford to take a weekend off. You're flitting around the world with an entourage. Obviously, you're, you've, you've got a side income coming in from somewhere. Right. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I don't want to take my family. I had that one good trip with you in Europe and... Heather saw how happy I was, so she put the kibosh on that. Now they have to go everywhere with me. But 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 I get your point. I do own stock in um, several uh, weapons uh, manufacturers, so I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Maga, maga. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Can I make a it's comment? So sad. About that's a good point. <laughs> well, let me make the point first, my fine friend. Um, no, you were talking about uh, you know comparing it to World War II, and and I was I was thinking about that. It's like you oh know World God. War II, 
when it comes to, I guess, America at the very least, and, and probably the British as well. And we think about glory. We think about victory. We won. Careers were made. People were uh, put into the history books for that. But also what was in Korea, and, and you touched on this just a minute ago, was all of the lessons that should have been learned for whatever war came next. It just happened to be the Vietnam War. And I was just thinking about all those lessons that they didn't learn about the Western um, allies, the armies are so dependent on technology, which doesn't do you very much good when you're in a place like Korea where there's very little roads and there's no way to get around and it's just not good. And they don't have a lot of infrastructure, so you can't go around and bomb them into submission because they don't have that much to bomb. But the most important concept that I think the, the Americans and the British and any, anybody else in the United Nations from the Western side missed was the Eastern concept and you touched on this when it came to Ho Chi Minh, the Eastern concept of patience versus the Western concept. I think you said something like Ho Chi Minh was telling his followers, yes, the French are here and they've been in a pain, a pain in our ass for a couple of decades. But if we do this right, they'll be gone in, say, 20, 30 years. I don't know. But remember, the Chinese, when they were here, that was for more than a thousand years. So I think that the idea of patience, the Americans just couldn't put up with it. Uh, with with the, the idea of not winning for three years or not being able to conquer the other side, just wore them down. And I don't know if Stalin knew that, but I think um, um, Kim did. And so I, I think that was just a lesson that could have been learned in Korea, and it wasn't, and we're going to do it all over again in Vietnam. And it's just one of those sad missed opportunities that should have been learned. Yeah, let's go with that. <clears throat> That's the way it is. That's the way it will always be. Yeah, it is. That's the way I like it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. North Korea is still marginalized in Western media as yeah. backwards, run by a third-generation tin pot dictator who is depicted as crazy and brutal and uh, doesn't poop. Right. According, according to... Huge advantage. Huge advantage. <laughs> all, all that, that time, time. <laughs> yeah but wait you know but <laughs> when else are you going to be on twitter i mean it's uh that's my twitter time mm. in korea the american military uh you know wanted to use atomic weapons against the yes. chinese yes um uh, so we, we're gonna we're gonna explore all of this over the course of a series of episodes um you know, only the Cuban Missile Crisis ha has brought us closer to nuclear war in the last 70 years mm. than uh, Korea. But like all history, it's shrouded in mythology. Here's another quote from Paul M. Edwards. As with any war, the events in Korea began to take on characteristics and myths of their own. And stories were created to accompany unexpected outcomes, excuses for failure, justifications for unnecessary action, and explanations for events that were basically without explanation were created to meet the needs. Without the restraints of a critical press and often lacking good basic information, these myths about the conflict in Korea quickly became excuses rather than explanations. Absorbed by the American people and often uncorrected by the very people whose responsibility it is to provide such protection and allowed to stand unchecked by time and revision. 
These misconceptions have been scripted and have acquired the strength of legend. And I, you know, I've been wondering as I've been reading, uh, preparing for all of this, the MASH TV show. Right. Which I think, I don't know about you, man, but the first thing I think of when I think about the Korean War is Hawkeye Pierce and yeah. Hot Lips Houlihan and, I th- and, and Radar O'Reilly. And I think, the Korean War, that was fun. Yeah. Oh, so it much fun. It? Yeah. 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 I wish. Song. Yeah. I wish I'd been at the 4066, <laughs> man. It was so much fun. Suicide is, is painless. Oh, it's it not when you sing it out of tune. Chin- hey, that ow, that hurt. Oh, wow, that was uh, terrible. What the hell? Is that a recording you of you or is that you? Want? Want? Just tell me what you fucking want. I just want you to sing in tune, that's all. Can you sing in tune? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no. No, no, I agree. Oh. You can't. Just- You just watch your mouth. Show some respect. <laughs> Anyway. What was the was the mash four oh six six? I can't remember. Something like that. It had a four. Four oh seven seven. Four oh seven seven. Really? I think. Fuck, I don't know. It's been twenty when it's been <laughs> on for like twenty, thirty years. I don't know. But I loved yeah. that show. Loved that show. Yeah, me too. Four oh seven seven. Yeah. Mash TV. Oh, here we go. Bo-do-da-da. 4077th. Hey, good yes. one. Yes, the 4077th Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. Yes. But I do wonder, I mean, if, I mean, not that I'm, not that I'm, you know, suspecting that Larry Gelbart uh, sat down with the CIA and said, right. hey, let's, uh, let's put a positive, yeah. yeah, let's put a positive spin yeah. on Korean War, but I do think it, um, had a role, deliberately or not, in depicting Americans at war and in wartime. I mean, this came out 72, the TV show, novel, came out, I think, 68. But um, I read the novels too when I was a kid. There's a series. Mm. I loved them as a, as a teenager. But I think the film, the, the, the film right. uh, version, again, sort of came out like 70, I think. The TV show came out 72. Right. This is sort of the the, the height of uh, Vietnam, and uh, it, it did put a sort of cutesy, funny spin on what Americans are like when they're at war. And uh, I mean, it's propaganda, whether it's state, deliberate state, corporate, military, industrial complex propaganda or not. It's definitely a form of propaganda, changing the way that people think about uh, Americans at war. Yeah. If I could just real quick, um, so like you were saying a minute ago, yeah, it was a three-year conflict. um, And I know we're not going to go into um, all the military detail, but just to give everybody an idea of just how truly intense and ferocious the fighting was, I just want to go through a couple of the casualties and just keep in mind that this was a war fought just for three years, and it's on one peninsula, as opposed to, you know, a world war or uh, a war with three or more countries into it. So North Korea lost 600,000 civilians dead or missing, 400,000 military dead or missing, 1.5 million military wounded, 
South Korea lost 1 million civilians, dead or missing, 217,000 military, dead or missing, 430,000 military wounded. China, we don't know because of their secrecy, but it's probably somewhere around 600,000 military dead and 700,000 military wounded. And I think you and I might uh, I meant to say this before when you were talking about that. It was just a police action. It wasn't technically a war where just over 36,000 Americans died and were missing um, from this police action and just over 103,000 were wounded. So again, not a war. It's a, mil- it's a police action, but that's a lot of deaths for something that's undeclared. And you wonder how Truman uh, got around declaring war, but I guess Congress was backing him because everybody wanted to seem as tough on communism as they possibly could. Visions of the things to be. See, those numbers don't affect me as much when I. Uh, no, when you hear laugh track, we have a laugh get, track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get a, get, a laugh, get a laugh track, get a little bit yeah. of Suicide is Painless kicking in there, and uh, yeah. it's okay. Those numbers just go straight so, over my head. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's, that's nothing. <laughs> Look at that. Look at Frank Burns. He's so dumb. <laughs> Chinless wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's. So um, obviously, um, we want to go back and sort of understand the genesis of the Korean War, mm-hmm. and I think we need to start in 1200 BCE because <laughs> 1200 <laughs> at least, at least, I'm baffled. Tony is going. Damn you, Cam. No. No. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Riley? Riley? Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) No, that sounds like third grade level work to me. Sorry, just trying to find the right right clip. (laughs) What? Just what? Just tell me you have your pants on while you listen to that. That's all I need to know. <laughs> Did you hear the music clip I put together for you? I heard some of it. Yes. 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 Did you drunk. like it? <laughs> you Not as much as you did. Not as much as you did. But I can tell you were happy uh, inside when you were listening oh, to Oh, so happy. Yeah. Oh, so, well, I've had so much, I've had so much fun. You. I'm yeah, here for thanks. you, Bobby. Well, yeah. no, you weren't. You no, weren't, that's and that's point. why that's, that's why yeah. I had to build a robot version of you. Mm. Okay. Yeah, no. Frankenstein. Frankenstein's Ray. Uh, well, is what I what I built. That's absolutely right. That's how he gets off. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. That's just the way it is, and <laughs> and I can't ever see that being different. <laughs> All right. I was, Let's dive. Yes. Yes. Please dive. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Well, the reason that Korea was divided in the first place goes back to an agreement made in 1945 for the US and Moscow to jointly remove the Japanese from Korea and Mm -hmm. then work together to reunify the country. 
So Japan had formally annexed Korea back in 1910, well before World War II. They first Mm -hmm. defeated the the Chinese in the first Sino-Japanese War, 1894-1895. Then, as we've talked about on earlier Cold War episodes, they had the Russo-Japanese War, 1904-1905. They defeated the Russians, and then they kind of dipped their pinky in Korea uh, for the next few years, but then finally formally annexed it a few years later. Part of Japan's uh, attempts, imperial attempts, to get yeah. access to more more land, more resources, start to uh, uh, get them out of the limitations that, that I've talked about on the show before. If you think about Japan, tiny little island, very limited in terms of natural resources, uh, which right. means you have you have to import everything, which is expensive, um, and people can hold you at gunpoint if they don't want to sell you stuff that you need. Oh, so yeah. it's imp- they felt it was important to have more territory. Every every other great nation had gone out and taken territory. Why not us? That's, they thought. Right. Yeah. We, we've, they got, learned- we've got. We've got samurai swords. <laughs> they learned their lessons well from the Americans when we forced our way into their harbor and they adopted our ways and pretty soon they had an impressive fleet. Like you said, they beat the crap out of the Russians in two major naval engagements. Um, and when they do annex it and when the Japanese annex it in 1910, a lot of the Korean nationalists recognize that they need to keep resisting, but they can't do it from within the country. At least that's their opinion. They're going to go outside of the country and set up a provisional government of the Republic of Korea, created in 1919 in nationalist China. But here's the thing you need to remember. A lot of them leave to to keep the fight going, to try to drum up support and get money and maybe get an ally out of a Western power, as we're going to see. But a lot of the Korean communists, not all of them, but a lot of them stayed in country and fought the Japanese as best they could, or they joined up with the, the Chinese to fight them in Manchuria. So when all this is over with, and, and we're talking about trying to bring the country together, the Korean communists are going to have a lot of street cred with their own people because they stayed and fought the Japanese. They weren't landlords. They weren't squeezing the people out of their every cent they had. And that is going to be remembered by the people when the war is over. Double standard, baby. <laughs> Get your whoa, finger whoa, off whoa, that. Whoa, are you fucking crazy? Are they Iranian? No, they're not Iranian. No, they're Korean. <laughs> Yeah, so they they left a lot of a lot of the Koreans left, and uh, one of the founders of the provisional government based in China was Syngman Rhee, who mm. would later become the brutal and corrupt and U.S. installed president, yeah, first president of South Korea. Yeah, don't know. Was that a was that a soundboard or was that real? That was, I, I, I can't tell. That the was me. Anymore. That mm. was me. Yeah. Now, I, so I want to I now do a little bit of a bio on Syngman Rhee. I think that's what we can do for the rest of this episode because he's uh, obviously a very important uh, figure in this mm-hmm. whole story. Yeah. Born to a poor rural family in 1875. Right. Became involved in anti-Japanese circles after the end of the First Sino-Japanese War in 1895 when he was only 20 years old. Mm. A few years later, he was arrested for involvement in a plot to assassinate the collaborationist king Ooh. called King Gojong. 
right. and was sentenced to life imprisonment. <laughs> Well, yeah, first he'd only gotten a couple of years, but then I'd read that he tried to escape. And for that, they gave him life in prison. And because, and we kind of skipped over this, but he is going to learn English. He's going to be uh, go to a Methodist school. He's going to adopt Christianity. So while he's in jail, as we're going to find out, this guy is very driven. He's, he's uh, intelligent. He's focused. He's a bit of an intellectual. And, and like you were saying, later on in life, he becomes cruel, but we'll get to that later. But while he's in prison, he, he compiles a new English-Korean dictionary. He, translate, he translates the Sino-Japanese war record, and he also writes a book, The Spirit of Independence. So he is in jail, he is being tortured, but he also does find, I guess, time to, to exercise or to put out literary works. And so this guy is passionate, he is intelligent, he is driven, but now he's been given a life sentence. Mm. Yeah, he's uh, he's an intellectual and a, and a, an activist and a doer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he got released in 1904 when the Russo-Japanese War broke out, uh, and then moved to the USA. Yes, where he would remain for the next thirty odd years, thirty-two, <laughs> thirty-three years. Right. Yeah. When he first got there, he actually managed to meet Teddy Roosevelt in 1905, and tried to enlist Teddy's support uh, to get the U.S. involved in kicking the Japanese out of Korea, much like a young Ho Chi Minh tried to do with Woodrow Wilson in (laughs) 1919. And what was the result? Well, like Ho, uh, (laughs) Rhee failed to get the Americans' interest. Now, interestingly, I found that Roosevelt and a lot of uh, American political and business leadership at the time actually thought the Japanese taking over Korea would be a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Explain that to me, my uh, American um, friend. Well, here's... here's. Let's see if I can make this make sense. Roosevelt was as racist as, racist as any white guy at the time, okay? We don't have racism anymore, but back then, a lot of <laughs> racism, okay? So, so... Even though he, like a lot of Americans, looked down on the Japanese because they were Asian, he thought it was a good thing because they adopted our ways after we kind of forced them to. And he thought that they could, the Japanese, through their um, adopting our ways and their, and their military might and their political will, could help bring capitalism and Western thought to places like Korea. It was going to be shoved down their throat. It was going to be against their will. But Theodore was completely for that. He thought that was the best, most efficient way to make it happen. So I don't have any quotes in front of me, but I remember reading plenty of things where he was praising the Japanese for all of the uh, bringing uh, modernity to all of these places that they were occupying. So he was completely for it. So when this guy rocks up and says, yeah, could you help us with Korean independence? Roosevelt's probably something like, look, they're doing you a favor and I'm completely on board. So it was a very skewed layered type of racism that allowed Theodore Roosevelt to back the Chinese to, uh, excuse me, the Japanese in suppressing everybody else. Hmm. But, you know, Americans didn't like them taking the Philippines. I don't, I don't get it. We're like, okay, well, they're taking Korea. That's good. Let them take the Philippines as well. Surely that's good. That's a good thing. What what changed? Um, when we took the Philippines in 1898. 18- 
Yeah, off the Spanish, yeah. yeah, yeah and then, yeah, the, then so. the Japanese took it. That's in different. World War Two. Oh, That's... it's different. That's so obvious oh, if you have. Oh, it's different. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't get how. that bit. Don't it's just different. It's, <laughs> it's just different. It's just different. <laughs> just different. Okay. Please, please let that be the truth. Yeah. No, I that's know. That's what Ray says. You know that's what Ray says. That's what Ray says. That's what Ray says. What Heather says <laughs> about D'Angelo. Look, it's just, just different. It's just different. I'm not going to use the word bigger or thicker. I, I, it's just I can't different. explain it. It's just different. Did you uh, manage to get your sister-in-law drunk and uh, in bed while you were in Scotland? I mean, um, somebody's. Who was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Somebody. We were at the uh, a bar um, in Edinburgh, and we stayed until they closed, and then we stayed after they closed. Um, I probably shouldn't say that because I'll get in trouble. And there was a lot of what was uh-huh. that? Mm. Um. Verbal, mental, emotional mm. patching mm. Uh, mm. going across the room. Mm-hmm. And that's all I remember. That's all my mm. lawyer says that I remember. Mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of flirting. Anyway. Mm. I am so bo- hot and bothered right now. Anyway, mm. please continue. <laughs> Don't you dare Damn. push your button. Kurt, I'm gonna kill you. Bringing it back, baby. <laughs> anyway, yes. So, Re Sigmund Re stayed in the U.S. and studied. Got a Bachelor of Arts from George Washington University in wow. 1907. Got a Master of Arts from Harvard. Harvard. University in 1908. In 1910, got a PhD from Princeton. Damn, who's paying for this? I, it better not be my money. Friggin' immigrants. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, these immigrants come to your country <laughs> and steal all of your educations. Speak better than I do. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Then he did return to Korea a bit uh, for a couple of years. Got arrested again. <laughs> For his involvement in something called the 105 mm. Man Incident. Yes. Do you want to explain the 105 Man? I mean, I know that was a, a dream you had once. Uh, we used to talk about that, but right. not that, the, the no, Korean oh, the one. Other one. The Korean one. Okay. Mm. Well, there were mm. some Koreans in that, but anyway, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying. So um, there is the Governor General of Korea, who is obviously Japanese because they control it. And believe it or not, some of the Koreans aren't happy that the Japanese are dominating their country since at least 1910. So there's several attempts on his life in uh, 1912, I believe. So the Japanese, as they are wont to do, slightly overreact and arrest 700 Koreans. And of those 700 Koreans, 122 were charged. And of those 122, 105 were sentenced and given hard labor Re was one of those, but again, um, I guess his fairy godmother, I don't know, but he's, even though he's charged, he's going to be able to get out of that prison sentence. I think an American helped him, but I don't have her name. But the point is, now this is the part I wanted to ask you. This is the second time he's been arrested. 
Is he just in bad company or is he really mixed up in these things trying to get rid of the Japanese? Because I think we have to question, even though he wants Korean independence, is he like Ho? Is he a thinker? Is he a soldier? Is he actually someone who could pull a trigger? I I really don't have an answer to that. But there was, like you were saying earlier, people either loved or hated this guy. He was self-promoting. He was arrogant. He couldn't stand to be disagreed with. But at the same time, he's devoting his entire adult life to trying to free his country. Does that give him a pass? I don't know. But he seemed to be very intense, a very intense person. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was involved in all these uh, various plots to to get Korea, Korean independence back. Oh, I, I, my read on him is he yeah, very much in the mould of Ho. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, no, this isn't good enough. As a young man, he's like, no, I'm not going to allow this foreign nation to come and control my country. I mean, Korea, unlike um, Vietnam, when uh, you know Ho was a young man, that it had a long period of being oppressed by the Chinese, mm-hmm. and then, and even you know by the French by the time Ho was a young man. Um, Korea had a very, very long and proud history of independence, Mm. heavily influenced by the Chinese. Right. But for most of their thousand-year history, um, an independent nation, very proud of their heritage and their culture as they should be. And uh, Ri was one of this generation of young men uh, who was like, no, fuck fuck this. We're not going to let the Japanese come in here and uh, dictate to us how we should do. They had a, bit, a long-standing rivalry with the Japanese as well, both cultures heavily influenced by the Chinese over right. the centuries, sort of a bit of a rivalry between them, um, a bit like, I don't know, uh, the the UK and France, I guess, mm-hmm. Britain and France for centuries. Right. Um, you know, they, a, lot, a lot of antagonism between the two. So, yeah, he was a... He was, uh, a, a, I guess, a revolutionary at heart. Now, this uh, attempted assassination on uh, the Governor General of Korea was led by an American Christian missionary, and about <clears throat> the, se- the 700 Koreans that were arrested afterwards were mostly Christian. So there was also oh. a very heavily you know, Christian assassination element going on here. <laughs> That's hot. God. <laughs> Let's kill our way to freedom. I'm a Christian. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the Christian way. Uh, <laughs> it's how, how Jesus would have done it. Put a whack. With a glock. Whack someone. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Ree goes back to the US, tries to convince Woodrow Wilson to help mm-hmm. the people involved in the 105-man incident. But as we, you know, Woodrow <laughs> Wilson's view at the time yeah. was not to get involved in foreign conflicts. I mean, got to keep in mind, this is just after... Uh, oh, no, hold on. This was uh, a yeah, little bit... Well, yeah, sort of around World War One. anyway. Right. I'm not exactly sure. can't remember what... What date did he get back to the US? That I'm not sure. But it had to be oh. very close to the, to the beginning of the Great War. I have so the 105 man incident was mm-hmm. uh, 1910, 1912. Uh, they they get sentenced to hard labour. So yeah, so it's it's around about sort of close to or just on the beginning of World War One yeah. when he gets back to the US and tries to get Wilson involved in this. Wilson's like, bitch, I got bigger problems. Fuck off, <laughs> leave me alone. 
Korea what? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Get the fuck out of my face. Hmm. Now, America at the time still believed, too, that the Japanese were a good thing. The Japanese occupation of Korea was a positive thing. Right. Uh, so sort of 10 years later, after Teddy Roosevelt had expressed that view, they were pro the, the Americans were pro-Japanese occupation of places in mm-hmm. the early 20th century. Yeah. Uh, some you know they were they were egging him on a bit like it. What it reminds me of is the Americans egging on Saddam Hussein <laughs> Ra- Ra- during the Reagan and Bush years, right? To uh, you know invade Iran. Hey, yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all go desert. It. It's all yeah. just go, man. Any Blank all check. deserts. Yeah. yeah, go do whatever you want. <laughs> Um, it's all good here. Here's some guns. Here's some money. Here's some weapons. Here's some nerve gas, uh, mustard gas. Go, go have at it. Yeah, yeah. it's all good. Um, similar, similar sort of situation here with the Japanese in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Now, in um, in the US, re met a guy called Park Yongman, who was another Korean nationalist, and he moved to Hawaii with him where he established the Han In Christian Church. Mm. So the thing to understand about Syngman Rhee in this period is uh, very, very Christian. Very Christian. Very, very evangelical Christian-y. Yeah, fundamentalist (laughs) Christian. Right. Um, Because no one does violence better than Christians. I have a poster of Jesus holding a Glock and it's turned to the side. There's nothing Mm -hmm. more inspirational Mm. than that, my friend. Draped by a couple of busty (laughs) girls in American flag themed bikinis. I'm hard. I'm so hard. So is Jesus in that picture. I've seen it. When he does it, they call it buff. I'm just hard. But I say I take your point, sir. And then in December 1918, Rhee was chosen as one of the Korean representatives to the Paris Peace Conference yeah, he was. in 1919. Woo! Now we're getting um, somewhere. I just love the idea. In, I've got a, like a, I've got a fantasy uh, novel in my head of <laughs> Syngman Rhee and Ho Chi Minh running into each other at the Paris Peace <gasps> Conference in 1919. Right. And uh, and just it's it's like a sliding doors thing, you know. They they meet and they hit right. it off, and then or it's a bit like before sunrise and before sunset. They spend the night falling in love, but then they get separated and have to get back to their own country. Unfortunately, Sigmund Rhee didn't get to go to the Paris Peace Conference because no. the U.S. wouldn't give him permission to leave the country and travel to Paris. Yeah, but he does compensate. He does, and I don't want to step on your toe, but he does hold the first Korean Congress in Philadelphia when they're trying to make plans for the, first of all, they want to declare the independence of Korea, and obviously they want to make plans to bring about the independence of Korea. So he didn't get to go to Paris, but this guy's not just going to sit back and bitch about it. Well, he probably did bitch about it, but the point is he's going to do something about it. And he, again, he's taking action. He's trying to meet people. Anybody who can help him, he will talk to you a lot like Ho. And uh, he's still trying to bring this thing about. It's funny when I do it to you. It's not funny the other way around. 
I'm not sure if that's the sound of of (laughs) air slowly escaping out of a balloon or a dog. (laughs) A dog that's lying on a nail and it hurts, but not enough to actually get up. It just lies there and goes... (laughs) Would you like to hear something that I think is equally funny? Yeah, I would. I have a bottle of single malt here, and every time you said something that hurt my feelings, I took a sip. So the only thing I'm going to be sending you is a fucking bottle. <laughs> it's a so fucking car- bottle. <laughs> so, so you're, you're, in a bus- you're in a Boston coming out there. <laughs> fucking bottle. Uh, it's worth it. I'll... I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> it is, isn't it? It really is. Oh, totally worth it. Uh, the the um, first Korean Congress that Syngman Rhee yes. held was a reaction to the March 1st movement. So in March, on March 1st, 1919, mm-hmm. a group uh, of Korean activists in Seoul, or Seoul, as it's pronounced in a lot of old American uh, newsreels okay. from the time, Seoul. 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 Uh, Seoul, protested publicly about the Japanese occupation. There was only, I think it was like 30 or 40 of the original protesters. Uh, They were arrested and it led to mass demonstrations across Korea. Uh, Two million Koreans participated in protests, more than 1,500 demonstrations. Shit. And, of course, the Japanese... Cracked down on the protests. Right. Seven and a half thousand people were killed. Fifteen or sixteen thousand were wounded. Forty-six thousand were arrested. And Theodore Roosevelt's probably going, "You're damn right. Good job." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was Woodrow Wilson in this case. Yeah. Um, so they threw this thing to try and get Wilson to support Korean independence. He'd just come out with his fourteen points, whatever it was, and he was right. like, "Well, listen." Look, I had to tell this to Ho Chi Minh. I'll tell it to you. Right. And and all the rest of you slanty-eyed motherfuckers <laughs> no. who come here trying to throw my throw no. my 14 points in my face, they're for white people. I should have... I thought that was... 14 white points. Clear. Yeah, yeah the 14-point yeah. white for white people program. Does it say slanty eyes in here? No, it doesn't. I Fuck can't. off and leave me alone. Does it say darkies or slanty eyes? No. It's for, like it's just inferred. Oh. It's inferred yeah. that I meant for white people. <laughs> and by white people, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, only those white people that aren't occupied by people we like. Right. It's complicated. It's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah, look, you yeah. wouldn't understand you're not white. You're, that's only right. white. Look, white oh, people know what oh, I'm talking about. Only a racist would get this. But trust yeah. me, it makes sense. <laughs> well, the Koreans were racist. They hated the Japanese. Don't, <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. Well, we're universally racist. It's you know the what? wrong kind of racist. You can't even get racism right, he said. It's <laughs> a problem with you, Jesus. slanty eyes. Right. You can't even get racism right. Fuck me. Do we have to show you how to do everything? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to hell. <laughs> Going to hell. We got the express lane for hell. Yes, we do. <laughs> My boy said to me the other day, you realise when you go into politics, people are going to pull out all your podcasts and play them and, you know, 
Like, yeah, that's why I'm never going into politics. That's right. Uh, yeah, 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 I've got to figure it out. Never, ne- never going to happen, my friend. Um, <laughs> well, the 14 points, here's the 14 points. Open and covenants of peace right. openly arrived at freedom of the seas, the removal, so far as possible, of all economic barriers, the reduction right. of national armaments to the lowest point consistent with domestic safety, impartial adjustment of all colonial claims, the yeah. evacuation of all Russian territory, the evacuation and restoration of Belgium, the liberation of France and return to her of Alsace and Lorraine. I never right. know how to pronounce Alsace. How do you pronounce it? I've heard Alsace. Alsace. Yeah. And Lorraine. Alsace. And Alsace and Lorraine. Alsace, yeah. Alsace, I think. Let's go with that one. Let's go with that one. Yeah. Just call it Lorraine. (laughs) Readjustment of the frontiers of Italy to confirm the clearly recognisable lines of nationality. The peoples of Austria-Hungary should be accorded the freest opportunity of autonomous development. Evacuation of occupation forces from Romania, Serbia and Montenegro. Serbia should be accorded free and secure access to the sea. Autonomous development for the non-Turkish peoples of the Ottoman Empire. Free passage of the Dardanelles to the ships and commerce of all nations. An independent polar to be established with free and secure access to the sea. And a general association of nations to be formed to guarantee to its members political independence and territorial integrity. See, nothing about slanty eyes in there. So fucking leave me alone, both of you. Ho! Sigmarie, fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. Like, if I wanted to talk about slanty people, I would have put it in there. I deliberately didn't mention slanty-eyed yellow people. So fuck all black people. So leave me alone. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. Or Native Americans. Oh, don't get me started on the Native Americans. Oh, my (laughs) God. So that was a no. He he did not get Wilson's help, right? (laughs) Is that what you're... Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. Hell, I don't know. That's what he said. Hell, I don't know. In April of 1919, the U.S. State Department told their ambassador to Japan mm-hmm. that the consulate in Seoul should be extremely careful not to encourage any belief that the United States will assist the Korean nationalists in carrying out their plans, and that it should not do anything which may cause Japanese authorities to suspect the American Mm. government sympathizes with the Korean nationalist movement. So it wasn't just, uh, uh, no, we're not paying attention to that. Uh, Sorry, that's not on our radar type of of a deal here. The U.S. was literally saying to the ambassadors... Uh, tell the Korean nationalists we ain't coming to help. So don't think we're coming to help. Because right. we don't give a shit. We yeah. don't sympathize. Yeah. No, no, no. Now, if you had some oil, maybe, but you don't. So fuck off. Yeah, basic. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> so this is 1919. So 2930. This is 20 years before the start of World War II. Right. The United States are openly, vocally supporting Japanese occupation of Korea. Well, they probably see it from, so it doesn't become a clusterfuck. They, the, the Japanese are going to keep these people down. Press is not going to be a lot of drama. And that's what good thing. That's good for business, not to have any kind of rebellions going on. So why wouldn't you want to do it? And you don't have to do it. You've got somebody else doing it. And... 
the US don't give a fuck about Korea in terms of strategically, strategically at this juncture and and right through to the end of World War II, Korea is kind of a a nothing place. It doesn't, you looked at maps of Asia that Americans had, Korea Korea wasn't even on there. It was just like a, it was just, there was just, there's nothing here. They used to write on their maps in their globes. Pretty sure there's nothing here. None of the dragons. Yeah, <laughs> even dragons, even so dragons can't be bothered going yeah, here. There's nothing. Em. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, yeah. Now, so um, yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say a year later. And again, this guy is determined. He's not giving up. A year later, there's the Washington Naval Conference of 1920. That might not sound exciting, but this was ma- major. After World War One's over. These powers get together and they're like, you know, we've got to cut back on the arms race. We're spending way too much money on naval ships, capital ships. And all we're going to do is kill each other and we're wasting the money. We could be trying to either take care of our people or balance our budgets. So all the nations get together and they agree on limits as far as the number of capital ships they can have. He even tries to bust up in there and say, oh, by the way, since you're talking about all these things and trying to preserve peace and ever, could I get the question of Korean independence slid into the agenda? But again, he just met with a big old fuck off. And so no matter what's going on, when anybody, any group of power or influence meet, he's going to be there asking for Korean independence. But he's been told no like 23 times, but he's not giving up yet. I'm impressed. (laughs) Well, of course you are. Yeah, I just accept it. I'm not outraged. Then Syngman Rhee was made president of the Provisional Government of the Republic of Korea. R-O-K, the rock. <laughs> Rocket like a hurricane was their... Uh, rock me like a hurricane was the, right. the, the national anthem at the time. Not many people know that. Um, <clears throat> rock you. Rock you like a hurricane. Yeah, I think it was rock you like I, a hurricane. Okay. Uh, which was based in Shanghai, this provisional government. Um, now, for the next couple of years, he spent time between Shanghai and the U.S., mm-hmm. kept trying to get the U.S. involved, kept failing. Um, by the way, Ray, uh, for the kids out there listening, yeah. Shanghai, yeah. What's, what's Shanghai? They're going, Shanghai, never heard of Shanghai. What's Shanghai? <laughs> it is a port city in south southeastern corner of China. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Ray. Yeah. Um, Nailed it. Spent Nick. <laughs> kept trying to get the US involved in Korean independence, kept failing. In March of 1925, Rhee was impeached <laughs> as the president of the provisional government in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Uh, the allegations had something to do with misuse of power. No. Um, not exactly sure of the details, are you? No, I think um, he just pissed people off and rode them the wrong way, and they found a way to get back at him. I don't know. No details. Didn't even have any power because it's a fake shadow right. government. <laughs> but Still managed to get impeached oh. for misuse of power. Yeah. This should have been an indication uh, <laughs> to anyone paying attention. Like the Americans. When he doesn't, when he's, he, yeah. when he's running a Fake shadow government, right. he got impeached. Bit of a cunt. Not the guy you want no. to put actually in control of a real government. <laughs> no no it's Nelson like, Mandela. Right, I hear it's you. Like, what's, what, it's like if you play, what's that game, um, the, the, like that board game where you take a risk, where you, you take, right. like if, if you play, oh, wait, put it this way, if, if you have somebody 
who's uh, at high school uh, and they're doing like that fake United Nations things that kids mm-hmm. do in America. Right. The guy who immediately just launches all out nuclear <laughs> war when they're doing United Nations games is not the guy who you then go, you know, he'd make a good president, that guy. You know? Speaking of people, you don't want to be made presidents. Right. Just this morning, I watched a bit of a live uh, debate from 2015 uh, between Boris Johnson. Now, I've done a couple of shows on Boris Johnson while you're away uh, with Trevor Bell. This is where the Ray soundboard came into effect for the first time. Um, Between Boris Johnson and Mary Beard. And it was a debate on which is better, ancient Greece, classical Greece or ancient Rome. And Boris Johnson's opening speech is fucking brilliant. I mean, the, you know, there's, there's, you see a lot of stuff in the media comparing him to Trump. Right. And as we covered in the bullshit filter, there is um, there's some truth to that. But, man, this guy, he's, he's a mega intellectual, uh, yeah. particularly when it comes to ancient history. He's written lots of books. He's done uh, shows right. on ancient Rome and ancient Greece. We should um, get him on. Very... Very, very, very eloquent and funny mm-hmm. when uh, he wants to be. And he's standing up in front of this live audience and he's he's re- reciting the Iliad in Greek um, and then, then doing on-the-fly translations. And, you know, he's, he's, he's like, I'm, I was watching it going, yeah, I want this guy to be my prime minister now. Like anyone... <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's also a complete tool and douchebag in many, many ways, but right. when it comes to history, he's our guy. He's one of us. Yeah. He's yeah, a history yeah, yeah. nerd. Right. Married and divorced and had a bunch of affairs, a bunch of little kids, loves to fuck, loves oh, to drink. Just like us. Party, party animal. Yeah. Um, bad boy, wild boy, likes to <laughs> piss people off and have a laugh, uh, Does, doesn't take himself too seriously. Doesn't like to comb his hair. That's yeah, fine. well, he's got he's got hair, which sets him apart so, from you. But okay. yeah, ouch. All right. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, go watch that. I I I, th- I dropped it in the Life of Caesar podcast uh, Facebook page. Sorry. Yeah. So go check that out uh, Ooh, if you cool. haven't seen it and get a sense of who Boris Johnson is when he's when he's being you know kind of serious. He's uh, fucking great to watch. Brilliant. Very 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 good. Articulate and funny. Right. <clears throat> not the bumbling aristocratic buffoon yeah, but, that he likes to portray at, uh, at other times. But he's a racist, probably. Or at least an elitist. Well, he's British, so... Same thing. Yeah. Okay, so you answered both yeah. questions. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking calm down, British people. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Touchy oh, fucking <laughs> people. Calm down. Look, you occupied two thirds of the known world for a long time, so yeah. you know, Just you know, what, yeah, yeah, like take your take your fucking <laughs> chops, you know, yeah, Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> touchy. He gets impeached, uh, yes. so not the you know that should have been a warning signal, but no, stable genius, no. stable genius, <laughs> Sta- very stable genius, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he remains in the U.S., uh, moves from Honolulu to Washington in 1939 to be closer to the center of power. Right. And after Pearl Harbor in 1941, he managed to convince FDR 
to officially recognise the provincial Korean government. That only took 36 years. Finally, finally he got an American president to recognise the shadow Korean government. So, look... You gotta give, like we did with Ho, you gotta yeah. give this guy credit for persistence for the Absolutely. cause. Yeah. Forty years almost of his life. Right. Started when he was twenty. Yeah. He's now nearly time. sixty. And he's finally got the Americans to yeah. recognize his government. Yeah, I mean he had to meet with three different US presidents, but he finally got it done. He starts working with the OSS. Um, on anti-Japanese strategy. So this guy is finally... Because you, you wonder about someone from Korea who comes over who's a religious, whatever, learns English, but somehow he manages to meet and talk to three different presidents. That's pretty amazing. But like we were saying before, he is driven. Some of the people hate him, but he's finally achieved this amazing thing. And now we just have to kind of see how this war plays out to see if Korea will get its shot at freedom, just like Ho is hoping for Vietnam. So after the surrender of Japan in 1945, Re wanted to go to Korea and the US State Department said no. Mm. Um, we, we, we don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> don't let this guy mm-hmm. go to Korea, they right. said. Yeah. Um, a, because the last time he was uh, in charge of anything, he got impeached for misuse of power. Not B... Good. He's a fervent anti-communist, and we're still, you know, friends with the Soviets, and the Soviets control half of Korea. Um, Kind of wasn't official at this stage, but, uh, you know, they were in talks about it. So, um, you know, not a good idea. This is not the right guy to send (laughs) to Korea, the State Department said. So uh, that was totally ignored by the military, U.S. military, who flew him to Tokyo, right. where he secretly met with both Douglas MacArthur and a guy called John Hodge, who was a general, sort of the military governor of South Korea at the time, right, on behalf of the Americans. Secretly met with them, and then Douglas MacArthur flew him <laughs> to Seoul on his private plane. As you do. As you do. Now, if you're wondering about the where's and the why's and the do you mind if I don't, you have to keep in mind that he also spoke to uh, a Preston Goodfellow, if I had the name right, who um, was the deputy director of war um, in, uh, in the OSS, involved in the OSS. And I think there was an unofficial conversation where Rhee is saying, look, you help me, let me get in charge of... Uh, Korea, at least my half of it, and I will promise the United States commercial concessions. And as we've made painfully obvious over many, many episodes, it's all about economics. The Americans do not want to go back to an economic depression. They want to have as many markets open to them as possibly can. And Goodfellow hears this and he's like, cha-ching, let's get this guy on a plane and they make it happen. Now, I don't think you have to be a spy if your name is Preston Goodfellow, but (laughs) it certainly doesn't help or hurt, I mean. (laughs) Goodfellow. And what is your name, sir? Yeah, Goodfellow. (laughs) Preston Goodfellow at your service. How may I corrupt your national interest today? According to British historian and former boss of Boris Johnson, Max Hastings, Mm There was at least a measure of corruption in the transaction that enabled uh, 
read to get back to Seoul. Um, Goodfellow, by the way, was a journalist before the war Ooh. and became a publisher afterwards. Now, after this secret meeting with Douglas MacArthur and John Hodge, Ree was flown to Seoul mid-October 1945 aboard MacArthur's personal plane, the mm-hmm. Bataan. Right. Uh, where he became chairman of the Korean People's Representative Democratic Legislature. Good for him. Start I can't think of a more corrupt-sounding organisation <laughs> than one that has the words People's Representative <laughs> Democratic Legislature in the title. Well, they got the right man for the job. Barry and Stan came up with that. <laughs> Overtime. They had to work yeah. through the night to come yeah. up with that <laughs> Listen, this is going to be a corrupt organization. Well, we need to make sure we put a lot of uh, democratic freedom. Right. They should have been the people's freedom-loving representative. <laughs> that was the platinum package. Uh, if, you'd get, if they paid Barry and Sen the platinum package, they right, would have thrown in freedom, no. freedom-loving in there. But, no. but they only went the gold package, so you only got, you know, three uh, whistle words in there, dog whistle words in there. Right. Um, now, at this point, he, uh, re this is, uh, uh, opposed all forms of foreign intervention. He even opposed the agreement, the deal between the Soviet Union and the United States. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, to establish this trusteeship for Korea, uh, which is, happened at the end of 1945, known as the Moscow Conference. Foreign ministers met in Moscow. We talked about it back back when we were, you know, sort of doing all the conferences. We did Yalta and Potsdam in the Moscow Conference. Um, this is where they dis- they agreed to establish a trusteeship. So the Soviets would take the north, the Americans would take the south, they would drive what was left of the Japanese out, mm-hmm. and then they agreed that within, I think, four or five years, right. there would be democratic elections and they would reunite the two halves and it would all, all be great. There would be... There would be parties, rainbows, <laughs> unicorns, um, love in the streets. Right. And it was, you know, ab- absolutely going to go completely smoothly. <clears throat> Not going to be any problems with either party giving up control no. of part no. of uh, Korea. Yeah. Um, and Re also refused, so he hated that idea. He also refused to join the US-Soviet Cooperation Committee. Mm-hmm. Now... Partly, I think, because he hated any form of foreign intervention. Although, this is the guy that for 35 years has been trying to get America to intervene. Right. Now, oh. that, the, yeah. now that the war's over, he's like, fuck off. Don't yeah. need you. Go away. Got it. <laughs> All under control. Thanks very much. Thanks for everything you've done. Take the Soviets with you. Yeah. 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 Fuck that shit, yeah. Yeah, so they were going to have to wait for five years. And as you can imagine, the Koreans, and I don't think I truly appreciated this until I started reading some of these books. And of course, it makes sense when you actually stop and think about it. But they were passionate about going back to their own, you know, having their own country like they did before. And also uniting themselves because this split is completely artificial, made up by two American colonels, the 38th parallel. So they are passionate about reuniting their country and getting together and being free. And so when they hear about this trusteeship for five years, the people on the streets go shit crazy, and the Americans start to think, oh, you know, how are we going to handle this now? So that's another headache for Hodge to have to deal with. Now, Reed lived in the United States for 30-odd years, yeah. um, 
as a result of that, wasn't very well known in Korea. He spent his time between the US and Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Um, not very well known in Korea outside of, I guess, a relatively small cadre of these uh, people who that were involved in the provisional government. Yeah. Wasn't well known, wasn't trusted, hadn't risked his life fighting mm. against the occupation like many mm. Koreans had. As you mentioned early on, particularly a lot of the communists stood and fought. Right. Um, he didn't. He ran away to safety and just sort of waved a flag <laughs> and tried to meet with presidents. Um, but the flip side is he also wasn't a collaborator. That's true. A lot of the Koreans who collaborated with the Japanese, like the Vichy right. uh, in France, are still there and they're in positions of power even after the Japanese have left. So there's a little bit of, uh, there's some good and some bad about the fact that he hasn't lived in Korea for 30-odd years. Yeah. However, he spoke fluent English, was known to the Americans so he was accepted as the best candidate for leading the country from the American perspective. Mm. British, British diplomat Roger Makins had this to say about it. The American propensity to go for a man rather than a movement, Giraud amongst the French in 1942, Chiang Kai-shek in China. Americans have always liked the idea of dealing with a foreign leader who can be identified as their man. Oh. They are much less comfortable with movements. Yeah. Now, he also makes the case, Makins, that uh, in 1945, very few Americans were fluent in Korean or knew much about Korea. And it was simply a lot, including John Hodge, by the way, who was the military governor there, knew fucking nothing about Korea. Right. Far easier for them to pick a guy that had lived in America for 30-odd years, understood America, understood Americans, speak the language, obviously, um, and and understood sort of the hot buttons of what America cared about. It just gets back to the uh, commercial concessions that he promised Preston Goodfellow. Um, So... They decided that he was going to be their guy. Everyone said, well, he got impeached when he was running the show. Oh, don't worry about that. No, it's all good. He's our our guy. He'd been in jail several times for trying to assassinate people. Well, who hasn't? (laughs) Who hasn't tried to assassinate someone when they were in university? You mean to tell me you haven't tried to kill a Japanese or a Korean? Come on. It's going to be good. Yeah. But if we haven't stressed this enough, back in and just to give a comparison, back in 1945, members of the State Department were going to Hodge and to other people when the military was first going in. Be very careful not to influence anything. We're not here to put one side in power or the other. We're here to just stabilize the region, get the Japanese out so Korea can fulfill its destiny or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Hodge, General Hodge, would not accept that at all, and he's the one who ramrodded this through. He's the one who was using former Japanese soldiers as tr- as uh, policemen to keep the peace, which really pissed off the locals. He's the one who decides to bring in Re on his own and, and gets MacArthur to go along with him, because MacArthur doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He's busy in Japan. So the military decides on its own what it's going to do. It ignores the State Department. So whatever's going to happen, good or bad, is be- is is going to be laid at the feet of the United States military in the form of General Hodge, who's later going to practically deny everything. 
Yeah, look, and I, I get this to a point. I mean, they're the people that are on the ground. He has to make decisions. Um, and he's sort of taking matters into his own hands. As it turns out, he picked the wrong man for the job. Um, like, there's very little doubt about the fact that Ree was definitely, even all, all of the American leadership came to realise this uh, yeah. fairly quickly, that we fucked up. Yeah. Oh, shit, did we fuck up here. Yeah. Now, Ree uh, was described by people who were around at the time as acerbic, prickly, uncompromising. No, unpromising. That doesn't sound like a real word in my notes. Unpromising. <laughs> Is that a word? Unpromising. It is now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna suggest that should say uncompromising, and I wrote it wrong. Um, I think you're right. Uh, um, the the U.S. State Department uh, referred to him as a dangerous mischief maker. But, but he spoke English, and Hodge was like, "That's good enough for me." <laughs> Sold. Yeah, he could talk about baseball, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he can who speak played, English. That's all, that's who all you need. Who played second base for the Cubs in 1942? That's my man. Mickey Mandel. There we go. I Boom. There's my man. Yeah. He knew the answer. It's all good. Uh, uh, John Carter Vincent, director of the State Department's Office of Far Eastern Affairs, wrote a memo at the time where he tried to remind the War Department that, as you said, the US was trying to avoid taking sides. They want to get involved in factionalism. He's like, you know, that would be a really bad thing for us to do. Um, But John McCloy, who we've mentioned before, who was the Assistant Secretary of War, replied to Vincent's memo that the American plan was to prevent the Korean communists from taking power. Mm. From the American perspective, already at this stage, and we, you know, we know from our Ho Chi Minh episodes that the Americans already by the end of World War II, late 1945, were, you know, they they they'd got the um, X, the long telegram um, from right. uh, George Keenan Thompson, <laughs> and uh, they were. <laughs> They were paranoid about the communists from taking power. Why? Because the communists were going to form a trading bloc that was yes. going to lock U.S. economic interests out, and they and the, uh, they wanted to avoid that. And the domino so, effect. Yeah. And the domino effect. So they're already uh, in Korea. This is yeah. well before uh, anything. And this is 1945, right? This yeah. is well before... Right after August. August. This is well before... You can lay any blame on Kim right. or Stalin or anybody on the Soviet side of things. The Americans were already wanting to their their their, their stated strategy was to prevent the Korean communists from taking power. The question is, well, what if the Korean people want the Korean communists to take power? Sorry, Fuck em. don't don't get to choose. <laughs> um, the American plan, according to John McCloy, the Assistant Secretary of War, was to build up on our own a reasonable and respectable government or group of advisors which will be able, under General Hodge, to bring some order out of the political, social and economic chaos that now exists south of the 38th parallel and so provide the basis for, at some later date, a really free and uncoerced election <laughs> by the people. As long as it's capitalist. 
As long yes, you can pick <laughs> da, da, any da. government you <laughs> want as long as it's the one we want you right. to have. I don't see what's confusing about that. <laughs> if we, this we make is it easy, actually. Yeah. What yeah. don't you understand? <laughs> God. No, but um, the Japanese who were there knew this. Stalin knew this. I think Kim Il Jung, however you say fuck his name, I'm getting the names mixed up, knew this. I don't know if the Americans knew this, but I think Hodge knew this. And we were saying this earlier that overall, the, the Korean communists were pretty popular because of the things we've already stated. So they're like, we can't just, because the State Department's saying, let nature take its course. The military's saying, no, we can't, because we know what the outcome will be, and that is unacceptable. We have to force this through. We've got to be subtle, but we have to force this through. What he's suggesting is, we don't want the communists to get their people into power, right. so let's put our own people into power. Done. And then they will allow free elections. Of course, the problem with that theory is when you put people into power, they have power. Yeah. yeah. And they never want to give up that power. So they're going to end up controlling the institutions of power using means fair and foul, as the South Koreans were to find out later. Anyway, let me wrap up with one more quote from Max Hastings, mm-hmm. Boris Johnson's old boss. The American military rulers employed no further deceits to dignify the process by which they now set about installing a congenial regime. Just as the Russians at this period were securing control of North Korea for a communist regime, so the only credentials that the Americans sought to establish for the prospective masters of South Korea were their hostility to communism and willingness to do business with the Americans. And that's where we'll leave it for this week. We'll be back next week with... uh, We'll do the same sort of mini-bio on the Soviet side of things and Kim Il-sung. And I'd like to thank both Rays for uh, turning up today and participating in the show. Okay. Mm, thank you. Sure. Right. <laughs> That's how he gets off. On the really? Of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none oh, other absolutely. than to provide absolutely. a nuclear strike capability yeah, against the that. Western Hemisphere. That's the way it will always be. When I go home, it comes up. What do you fucking want? Just what tell me what, what you fucking want. want. We can do it a lot. They're that good. I would think that would be the opposite of that. You just watch your mouth, show some respect. Yeah, it is.